Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Well, with 20 minutes on the clock, it's always fun and exciting to start a new book of the Bible. We are going to begin a study of the book of Hebrews. Now, it is interesting, somewhat unique in the New Testament, in that it is the only book in the New Testament to which we are not certain of who wrote it. Now, that is not uncommon in the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, there are books that we are not certain of the authorship. Uh, for example, First uh, Second Chronicles, First Second Kings, uh, latter parts of First uh, Samuel, all of Second Samuel. We're not hundred percent sure who wrote those. Uh, history and tradition tells us that it was the scribes uh, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, who collected um, different sources and accounts and, and collated them into those books. Uh, but we can't say for certain. Oh, this person or this group of people did it. We, we just have what was uh, the received history and tradition of the Jewish people uh, in the day of Jesus. In the New Testament, though, we have a fairly good idea of who wrote uh, each of the books. There is some debate about things like 2nd and 3rd John, but um, generally speaking, we have a pretty good sense of who wrote them. Hebrews is somewhat unique, uh, and there is ample debate about it. I'm going to quote here uh, from David Guzik, one of my favorite uh, Bible commentators, and he said this, um, he says, the earliest statement of authorship of the book of Hebrews is from Clement Clement, Clement of Alexandria. Alexandria, of course, is in Egypt, and uh, he was uh, writing, he said that Paul wrote it in Hebrew. So Paul wrote it in Hebrew, and it was meant to be read by people in Israel or among the Jewish diaspora across the Roman Empire, but it was written in their language, in Hebrew, and that Luke translated it into Greek. Uh, and Clement is said to have said this, and Eusebius in his history quotes Clement as saying that. Um, and at least for a long time, there was a majority of Bible to- commentators and scholars who affirmed that Paul wrote it, even if they didn't uh, say directly, it was sort of the, you know, we think Paul wrote it. Um, And there's reasons why Uh, Hebrews 13, which is the end of the book, talks about Timothy, uh, who was one of Paul's close companions. Um, And in Hebrews 13, uh, 23, again, it talks about uh, Timothy. And then Hebrews uh, 13, 18, 19, it talks about um, that they they knew him, um, talked about him being in, in Italy in Rome. And so there's kind of some geographic markers as well. But then uh, there are others. Uh, You know, um, uh, Farrar, uh, who's a Bible scholar, says that that it writes differently than than Paul. He argues differently. Um, He constructs his sentences differently. I'm not an expert either in ancient Greek or ancient Hebrew. I took some classes in school, but it doesn't mean that I I could stand toe-to-toe with these, these great thinkers. I can't tell you if it reads differently in ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek. Um, as I have read the book of Hebrews over the years, I've always felt it read sort of like Paul. But, you know, Farrar says that uh, Paul's style 
was somebody in the epistles, you know, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, first, second Chronic, uh, I'm getting my, my Bible books here. First and second Corinthians, first and second Thessalonians reads like somebody who wrote in Greek, but thought in Syriac that thought in, in sort of a, uh, uh, Western Asian, Middle Eastern view of the world, whereas uh, the writer of Hebrews seems to write um, as a man who both thinks and writes in Greek. I don't know whether that's true. I'm not an expert. F.F. Bruce, who is a Bible scholar and commentator who I've always respected greatly, um, agreed with John Calvin on this, uh, that the manner and teaching of and style is sufficient uh, in, in its difference to show that Paul was not the author. Um, and then they argue that in Hebrews chapter two, verse three, that the writer says he's not uh, because he identifies himself as one of the disciples um, as opposed to one of the apostles, which uh, is how Paul described himself. I disagree with that reading of Hebrews chapter two, and we'll probably talk about it when we get there. But that was their opinion. Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers, uh, said that Barnabas wrote the book, uh, but really didn't offer any insight into why he said that. Uh, Martin Luther argued for Apollos, but I think his reasoning is questionable. Um, Harnack, who is a part of the German school of theology, uh, very influential in the last couple hundred years, he argued that Priscilla, the wife of Aquila from the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila, he argued that she wrote it, but that uh, the reason for the anonymous authorship is uh, to hide that it was a female who wrote it. Uh, the same as, you know, when like Jane Austen and some of the Brontes and some of these gals were first publishing, um, that they wrote under male names or sort of generic names like, you know, uh, so that it wasn't clear that a woman had written the art, you know, the book. Um, I have friends who subscribe to this view. Um, my feeling is, is that people have a tendency to want one of them to be true. And it's not really about the evidence we have within the text or from history. It's about what they want. I want it to be Paul. I want it to not be Paul. I want it to be Apollos. I want it to be Priscilla or Aquila. I don't think it matters. And here's why. How we get the Bible, how, how we accept the Bible. We've talked about this a lot, on, especially on the Starting Points podcast. But I think it's worth mentioning again and again so that people have this ingrained in their brains. The Old Testament canon we received from the Jews. That what was accepted scripture by the Jewish people in Jesus's day, is what the church accepted. By the way, that's why I reject uh, some of the apocryphal books that are found in the Catholic and the Orthodox Bibles uh, because they weren't part of that original writings that were accepted by the Jewish people in Jesus's day. Um, some of them are pretty good, by the way, like uh, the, the writing of Barak uh, is, is very interesting and, and I think uh, informative. But that being said, they were not considered scripture by Jesus and by those with him. So we don't accept them. The New Testament scriptures, we have the testimony of the apostles so that those who wrote the scriptures, let's take Hebrews out of the equation for a minute. Those who wrote the scriptures in the New Testament were either the apostles or somebody closely linked to them. Uh, for example, Mark 
who wrote the Gospel of Mark, traveled with Paul extensively and uh, was also linked to Peter. And, and it's generally accepted. We talked about this when we went through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. It's generally accepted that um, Mark's Gospel, while it has some insight from his own personal experience with Jesus at the end of Jesus's public ministry, and uh, he was likely there at the garden uh, when Jesus was betrayed, uh, that a lot of his gospel is essentially the gospel according to Peter that that uh, Barnabas or that Mark just kind of wrote down. Um, so, so we have apostolic authority; those who were direct eyewitnesses of Jesus's life, resurrection, and and that were there at the beginning and charged with that that ministry of spreading the good news of the kingdom of heaven. But there is also, beyond apostolic authority, there is the acceptance of the church. This is why people will go around and you'll read things and you'll hear things and people will say things about how, well, you know, there's other things like the Gospel of Thomas. And, and this is the story that, that the powers that be didn't want you to know. Or it's the fanciful tale. It's the false tale that the church rejected. One of the points that uh, a professor of mine made in school was that, that generally speaking, when there has been a major disagreement about doctrine, the church at large has returned to what we might call the historic orthodoxy of the faith. And what I mean by that is this. One of the big splits in Christianity back in the day, and I mean a couple thousand years ago, was between the Western church, and what I mean Western, I mean not just the Catholic church, but also the Orthodox church, and the Eastern church, which is sometimes called the Church of the East, sometimes it's called the Nestorian church, and it was essentially the church in Asia. And there was a big split over the Trinity. But within a few hundred years, generally speaking, the Nestorian church had reaffirmed belief in the Trinity. That there are things that the church, the, the body of Christ, the family of God, I believe inherently just understands as the spirit speaks to us, knows to be true. That's why there, there can be weird teachings, misconceptions, even false ideas that come into the church at different times and different places. And they are eventually weeded out because true believers filled with the Holy Spirit and having as much access to the scripture as they are able, come to the realization that these things aren't true. With Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, but according to the testimony of the writer of Hebrews, they were connected and known in the early church, and the church received their writings. So whether it was Paul, or a Barnabas, or Apollos, or Priscilla, or whoever else, they were known in the early church and they were accepted by the believers and their writings were accepted as from God. Now, going forward, I'm not going to tell you who I tend to think wrote the book. Um, and I'll just say the writer. If I accidentally mention some author, I'll try to correct myself because that does happen. Uh, but but generally speaking, going forward, I believe that we'll just go with the writer of Hebrews is what, how we will refer to whoever wrote Hebrews. Now, Hebrews 
chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Our ancestors. Now, it could be just generally, you know, God spoke to the world through the prophets. But I tend to think this indicates that whoever the writer is, they are ethnically Jewish, culturally Jewish. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he also made the universe. Understand who the writer is speaking to. It's the letter to the Hebrew people. And you might say, well, Adam, I'm not Jewish and you're not Jewish. So what does this have to do with me? Well, first of all, much of the Bible was not written to you and me. When, when Peter wrote his epistle, when James wrote his epistle, when Paul wrote to the Galatians or the Ephesians, he was writing to a specific people or a church or a, a group of churches or a person or whoever. We weren't the original audience. And yet God still speaks to us through these things. But beyond that, just because somebody is speaking to a different group doesn't mean I can't learn something. And one of the things that I can learn just in principle is to understand who it is I'm speaking to. One of the big challenges that happen right now, especially as we're in transitional times in the church, is in understanding our audience. Are we speaking the language that people will understand? Like if I speak the language of church to non-church people, will they understand what I mean? got to think about that. Am I using church words to a person that doesn't speak church? If I want to speak Jesus to somebody, am I going to use the language that they will understand? It's worth thinking about. Beyond that too, who is Paul right? See, I did it and I gave it away. I generally think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but that's beside the point because I don't have any interest in fighting about it. Who did the writer, who was, he, who was the writer writing to? The writer of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish people. I believe in our day, one of the calls of Christ, for Christians, one of the challenges, one of the, the missions that God is giving to his church is to reach the church. You might say, Wait, what does that mean, Adam? What I mean by that is this. I believe that there are people who are culturally, quote unquote, Christian, that they are, you know, they have church background. They might even speak church language, but they are not believers. They like church. They believe in God in general. And since they're American, then culturally they're just Christian. And there are still people like that who do not have true faith, saving faith, but yet claim Christian faith. Now, I don't know anybody's personally. I'm not speaking about anybody in particular. I think that there is a general sense in America that there are people who claim to be believers, to be Christians. And if you said, I don't know that you're saved, they would freak out on you. And you say, Adam, how could you say that you don't know if somebody's saved? somebody has the fruits keeping with repentance versus somebody who just goes to church. If I, if I, if you, you know, if you see apples growing on a tree, you go, Hey, that's an apple tree. 
But if love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, goodness, self-control are not present, don't you wonder, hey, is that really true faith? I believe that there are people who like moralism, who like cultural Christianity, who like this version of American nationalism, sometimes called Christian nationalism. And whether they're believers or not, I believe God wants to speak to them his good news. And for the believers, it's a work of sanctification, being made more like Jesus. For the non-believers, it's a work of justification, being forgiven, being made right before God. So the writer to the Hebrews is speaking to the Hebrew people. And he's using their language and telling them in their words and in their context. And I believe that we are called in part to speak to cultural Christians, institutional churches, and speak Jesus to them just as much as we speak Jesus to a secular culture or to people of a different faith within our community. And he says, in the past, God used the prophets, but in these days, he has spoken to us through the Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So what he is saying is, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors, but now Jesus has come. And this is biblical, by the way. We talked about this recently in the Starting Points podcast with Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah said there, there was coming a new covenant. There was coming somebody who would bring a new, you know, a new covenant, a new way, you know, a new way of God speaking to people. He says in verse three, the writer says, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. That Jesus, the son, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. I said a minute ago that part of our calling as Christians in America is to speak to cultural Christians, institutional churches that may not be actual Christians. And those who say, I believe in God, those who say, I, I affirm, you know, I, oh yeah, I believe in God and Jesus is the son of God and all that. And, and, and say, no, if you don't know Jesus. You don't know God. If, if you know Christianity apart from Christ, you don't know God. He also speaks to those who say, well, Jesus is just another, another enlightened person, a prophet of some kind. He says, no, he... He is the exact representation of God. And he has provided the purification for sins. This prophet doesn't do that. An enlightened person doesn't do that. That Jesus is the only one who has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And he isn't just another high being, you know, those who kind of make a big deal about angels. And, oh, you know, I just got my angel watching over me. And they kind of pray to their angel. The writer's saying, Jesus is far superior to any of these things. For which, verse 5, of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And here the writer is quoting from uh, Psalms and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. 
And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But speaking about the sun, God says, you, your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So what the writer is saying is God speaks about the angels as his servants, as as spirits. But Jesus, God in human flesh, God the Father refers to as equally God as himself. Verse 10, the father also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. You will, all, you will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits? sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Well, I see our time has run up. We have hit the 20-minute mark. So I'll close by saying this. The writer uses the Hebrew scriptures to speak to the Hebrew people. We can use the scripture to speak to church people. We can preach the gospel to non-church people as long as we speak a language that can be understood. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to speak in ways that are beyond our ability. But we know that Jesus is the full representation of God to humanity. That apart from Jesus, we do not know God. And I'm so thankful that through Jesus, we do know God. We know the love of God. We know the power of his Holy Spirit. And we rejoice in that truth. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.